0: So I wanted to speak on four beats. So I think there's a heartbeat uh, that, that Peter is picking up in these scriptures uh, and it's the heartbeat of holiness. And so I'm gonna focus on four beats this morning. I'm gonna give them to you because then you know uh, when you can wake up because I'm getting near the end. So the first heartbeat is this, repay evil with blessing. There's a heartbeat of holiness that we repay evil with blessing. The second heartbeat is this, be eager to do good. So practical. The third one, revere Christ as Lord And the fourth one, always be prepared to give an answer. So I'm going to explore those four beats this morning. So the first one starts with this. Peter writes in verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. In other words, be like Jesus. Live like Jesus. If you worship Him, your life should start to look like Him. Start to live like Jesus. But... There should be a moment that that those people that follow Jesus, if those those people that aren't following Jesus, suddenly Jesus returns, they shouldn't be going, who's this guy? They should be saying, when Jesus returns, they should be going, wow, I, I know a community that live in my village, in my town, in my city, that look just like you. And so there's no confusion when they see Jesus, because the community, that's who Peter's writing to, he's writing to a community of people, not just an individual a whole community of people he's writing to that should be displaying what it looks like to be Jesus. And I love how Eugene Peterson uh, summarizes these verses in the, in, the, uh, in the message paraphrase. He says this, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble, love this bit. That goes for all of you, no exceptions oh, but hang on, my my situation's a little bit different as an exception here. It doesn't apply to me in this situation. We understand that, don't we? Because it's different. No. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. We always like to think that our situation, our circumstance justifies us behaving differently. I'm just, just enacting the righteous anger of God in this moment. Really? Really? That goes for all of you. No exceptions he says in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, and here's the first heartbeat, repay evil with blessing. Repay evil with blessing. The word, the word blessing here it literally means good words. That's, that's the entomology of the word, good words. Repay evil with good words. When someone says something bad to you or about you, how are you going to respond? With good words. It's how I'm going to live. And this isn't, this isn't someone saying something to you and you through gritted teeth go, God bless you. <laughs> it's not asking God to bless them. It's saying, I am going to bless you. And how am I going to bless you? With what comes out of my mouth. And it's going to be good. Good words. See, remember, Peter is unpacking what it means to be holy He's saying that if Jesus is the cornerstone of this house that's being built, a community of people, that cornerstone that sits and sets the nature of the whole building, then actually those of us that have been built into this family that is the temple of God, the community of God, then actually we should start to live, love, and look like Jesus. There should be something about us that people go, there's something really different about you. And it's because it's Jesus. How we react, how we respond, how we live. This is the holy life. And it's holy because it's only possible with the Holy Spirit. See, we don't live like this. And I'm going to say this a few times. We don't live like this to get saved. This is, we can't be saved by ourselves. These heartbeats, the, certainly the first two, we don't live for salvation, we live from salvation. You have been saved. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's given you everything for life and godliness. So now live like him start to look like him your life will start to change it's holy because we partner with the spirit who's working through us and he starts to reveal things in our lives attitudes that aren't like Jesus thoughts actions and we go wow I just I've seen that in me and we start to ask the Holy Spirit to help us and we work with the Holy Spirit and and it's us working and him uh, him working and us responding it's the life of discipleship and there is no more practical way that we can work to be more like Jesus than to repay evil with blessing. Why? Why, why would we do it? Well, Peter says it. it says, he gives two reasons why we should live like this. And this is the first one. He says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. There's the first reason. Because actually, if you follow Jesus in the room, you've been called to live like this. Repaying evil with blessing. See, the world doesn't need a nice Christian, well-mannered response. Doesn't, Non-Christians can react like that. Non-Christians can react saying, you say something horrible to me, I'll say something nice in return. So there doesn't need us just our kindness. The world needs Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus The world needs a community of people that are willing to live in a way that displays Jesus. And God, through his sovereignty, has determined that, I mean, it baffles me, but that's him and not me. It's his decision, thankfully, not mine. But he's using us. He's using me. And he's using you. He's using the church to display who he is to the world around us. Isn't that incredible? Is that incredible? I mean, look at me. I mean, you guys are obviously a lot more holy than me and do a great job of this. So I'll just preach to me and you guys get to eavesdrop in. Is that okay? God has chosen to use his church to display himself to the world. See, back in Genesis, God creates humanity. And what does he say? As he creates Adam and Eve, he says in that moment, and we made them in our image. In the image of God, they were created. See, the role of humanity from the start was to bear the image of God to all of creation, to all of creation. And so God, God calls us to, and gives humanity a blessing and he says, this is the blessing, bear my image to creation. But what happens in that moment is that Adam and Eve choose to disobey God and the one thing he told them not to do is don't eat of that fruit, okay? That's the one thing, don't eat of it, but they do. And in that moment, there's a curse and in that moment, humanity falls. And in that moment, what happens is the blessing that God has put on them, which was to bear my image, the serpent says, eat of the fruit and you'll become like God. Suddenly, the blessing becomes a curse. And no longer is humanity seeking to bear the image of God. Instead, they're seeking to become like God. The blessing becomes a curse. But what we see is as we journey forward through Scripture... God partnering with humanity, uh, setting aside a portion of humanity known as Israel, and now the church. Together, we've been bra- uh, grafted in to be this community of people that God is setting aside to say, "I want I want you to display my image to the world." And what we see when Jesus comes is that He is on that cross, and in that moment, Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, what He does is He reverses the curse. And he's on that cross and in that moment he's hanging there all manner of curses and evil are thrown at him and what does he say he's hanging on the cross and he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing he uses words to pour a blessing that in eden the blessing becomes a curse and we see journey throughout history and with jesus we see the curse becomes a blessing as he bears the image Jesus, in that moment, is living out what he's preached in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's living it out in that moment. Jesus doesn't just do a sermon on the mountain and go, go on, guys, good luck with that. He lives it out and displays it for those of us that follow him to live it out as well. And he says, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. See, we're called as the church to bear his image. To that you've been called. This is why we live the way we do. This is why God starts to change us from the inside out by His Spirit and our actions start to change towards our friends and, dare I say, our enemies. Because we're called to bear His image in the world so we can be children of your Father in heaven. You know, um, our kids so often, um, I see moments where they, they replicate us as their parents. Kids learn, don't they, by seeing. And so often I see lovely moments where they're, little brief moments where they're playing nicely with each other. The odd little moment where they're kind to somebody else and I think, wow, just I'm a great dad. Doing it, it's good, they've seen it in me. But more often than not, <laughs> I see moments where they're, they're less lovely with each other. And maybe something happens and it gets them frustrated. you know in those moments I go, yeah, I can see them just like me in that moment. I get frustrated in those kind of moments. And they've learned how to behave and react See, children learn by seeing their parents. This is why it's so important that we understand those of us that follow Jesus, we repay evil with blessing because when we do, we're imitating the Father. When we do, we're bearing His image into the world. That's what the church has been called to do, that we have been called to this, to bear His image into the world. The second thing that Peter says, actually, is in verse 9, and he says, let me find the the passage, and he says... um, on the contrary, we pay evil with blessing, because this you were t- you, to this you accord, so that you may inherit a blessing. So you can inherit a blessing. Absolutely. I'm glad someone's awake. This letter was written into a culture of shame. A culture that said, you shame me, will shame you. You insult me, I'll insult you. I think we're increasingly living in a shame culture. We live in an environment filled with opinions, filled with uh, every, every conversation, every issue seems to be an invitation for verbal escalation. When, when we see people that have said or done something years ago and it's let's shame them, let's expose them, let's, let's cancel them. We're increasingly living in that kind of culture. And I think Peter, in fact, actually, dare I say, Jesus says, don't play that game. Don't be a community that play that game. Don't fall into the you shame me, you will shame you view of things. And what Peter does is he goes on to quote Psalm 34 in this passage. And in verse 12 he says that there is a God who sees. You don't need to live that game where you shame me, I'll shame you just to get even. Because there is a God who sees it. There is a God who nothing that happens in our life is ever missed. He sees everything that happens And in that moment, we can respond from a curse with blessing. Because in that moment, we get to live as He would live, responding to the curse with blessing. And what happens in that moment is when someone curses you and you respond with blessing. Do you know the blessing that we get, the inherited blessing that we get, is that God speaks an even better word over us? He says, There's my child, you're bearing my image. That's my son, that's my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You've been chosen, you've been adopted. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he speaks a better word over us. This week, I wonder what it would look like as a community if we were to intentionally say, what does it look like for me to repay evil with blessing, with good words? How am I going to respond to criticism and slander and malicious talk? How am I going to live in that moment? Maybe we ask God by his spirit to help us and grow us. This is something that I've been doing more recently because God's showing an area of my life that he wants me to grow in. And I I can, I mean, you won't believe this because you think I'm a pastor. I am a pastor, but it doesn't mean I'm human. But there's moments where I get frustrated. Moments where situations and circumstances don't go in the way and the time that I need them to go and I get frustrated. And do you know in those moments what I've started doing? I'm actually believing that prayer works. That's a novelty for the church, isn't it? prayer actually works. So in those moments, and I don't remember every time, I'm trying to increasingly remember, but every time I do, something different seems to happen, but when I forget, most of the time it doesn't change. But when I'm tempted and I, I feel a frustration coming in that moment, I'm just pausing and I'm praying. I've got a sentence that I pray. Sometimes I'll withdraw and I'll go off to the holy room that is the toilet or the utility room and just try and get out of the way and just pray this prayer. But sometimes it's just in my heart and I've got this one prayer. I'm praying, I'm praying come Holy Spirit, kindle in me the fire of your love. That's what I've been praying. And just trusting that Jesus, me me acknowledging this is an area you want me to grow in, God, I need your spirit to help me, I need your love in this moment, will you come and help me do it? I wonder what it would look like if we could live being eager to repay evil with blessing. There's the first heartbeat. Don't worry, the next ones are going to be even longer. (laughs) Peter says, and he goes on the second heartbeat be eager to do good. Be eager to do good. And he says in verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, guess what? You're blessed. Do not fear the threats. Do not be frightened. See, what we need to remember is that the original listeners and readers of this letter, they're seeking to live this stuff out. They're seeking to live like Jesus would live. They're seeking to repay evil with blessing. They're seeking to be eager to do good. And yet, they're still being hated on. See, what we want to think is, if I live like this, then my good life is going to get gooder. Hallelujah, there's the blessing. But who knows, so often we try and live like this, and it's like, life's just got worse. Certainly not got better. It just seems to get harder and harder and harder. And that's what Peter is writing into, a community that are experiencing this. See, the truth is that we can live and seek to be like Jesus, and actually things don't change. Circumstances don't shift. People don't change in their attitudes towards us. But what Peter's saying in those moments is, don't think that you're not blessed. Because the temptation is to think that God isn't blessing me. Because the situation hasn't changed. But he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're still blessed. How? It's got worse. Well, let me try and explain to you. See, the reality is that if we live eager to do good, then actually most situations will resolve themselves. I had this recently. I broke something that belonged to somebody else and they came to tell me that I'd broken this thing, which I knew I'd, I, I'd knocked, but I didn't realize it had damaged it and broken it. And so um, they came to me and they came to me and I could see that they were a little bit narked. You know, you can just tell, can't you? Their shoulders were hunched, their lips were kind of pursed. And they were ready, because I think they thought I was going to react. And I was going to say, prove it. You prove that I broke it. Come on. Let's I think that's what they were expecting. That's what their kind of body language told me. But actually, I was like, I'm really sorry that I've broken that. I knew that it was for something else. So I was like, I hope that it hasn't caused issues with the other things that it's used for. And if it's, if it's caused any problems, then I'm really, really sorry. If I can pay to repair it or get a new one, then I will. Instantly, that person just relaxed. Just instantly. They were like, oh, oh wow okay thank you and actually it ended up going for our benefit which is a blessing see most situations will be resolved but what happens if that person had come and said it's not good enough I'm gonna bring you down Pastor John Martin <laughs> what happened if that because that could have happened I can't control their reaction that's what they could have done so how am I blessed in that moment? How am I blessed when everything seems to go against me? Because either way, if you're good, if you're eager to do good, most situations be resolved, and there's the blessing. But if you're not, God sees, God honors, and God says. I saw that, and I saw how you reacted, and I see you in that moment. And for Peter, that is enough to assure a blessing. Not that circumstances and situations and things get better, but that actually the God, the creator of all things, has seen you. There's the blessing. Oh, if we as the church could live with that as enough of a blessing. Instead, we create this whole gospel around, it's going to get better when it gets good, and then God's really blessing you. It's a lie. The reality is that God sees you and in that moment he goes, there's my daughter, there's my son and I've seen you and there's the blessing. Peter's got an amazing perspective that no matter what happens in the here and now, there is a God and nothing falls short of his sight. Nothing is missed. That's what he's saying through Psalm 34. He sees everything that goes on. That's why Peter, no matter what, whether the situation uh, will work out for your good or not, says be eager to do good. That word eager, it means to have a passion, to be boiling over to do goodness. You know, I saw a Stratford Town football fan on Monday. Anybody know Stratford Town got into the FA Cup for the first time in 70 years or something? I'm glad there's some nods, because I didn't, <laughs> I'm not a football fan, so I didn't know that, but I, I, I know someone that uh, is connected with the club, and um, and so I, I uh, yeah, through a set of circumstances, I ended up finding out that they were, and so I asked them on Monday morning, I said, how did it go, how was the how was the match, and he was like, it was incredible, I was like, oh mate, what, what happened, and he was like, oh, kids had their face painted, there were scarves, the stadium was, ra- I mean, it's a stadium, the, <laughs> the huts were rammed with people, and, and they were all shouting out, Bardi army, they've got this chat and I was like, oh, it was just an incredible afternoon. I was like, sounds fantastic. What was the result? And he went, oh, we lost 5-1. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, we got hammered. But they were just, what a team. They're incredible. Just love Stratford Town. And I was like, wow, we can learn so much, can't we? That in the face of setback, he remains loyal to his team. That's what it means to be eager to do good that in the face of setback, in the face of things going against us, we are going to be so loyal to who Jesus was and how he lived, that we are going to be so eager, boiling over with a passion to do good, that we're going to wake up, not each morning going, Oh, I'm meant to be, I'm meant to be a Christian, so I'm meant to live, better be good today, hadn't I? No, 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 there's a passion that boils over that says, no matter the setback today, no matter what happens, I am going to passionately pursue doing good, being good, because that's who Jesus is, because that's what God is like. Psalm twenty-three. What does it say? Surely goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy, will follow you all the days of your life. Not just on the days when you're on fire and everyone's going great and God's the king of the castle and everyone else the dirty rascal. But it's fantastic, isn't it? Amazing. Woo! God's good. Yeah, His goodness is for me. Woo! It's an amazing. No, not just on those days. But on the days where I intentionally choose to do something that I know God wouldn't want me to do, when my attitude is really bad, when I'm struggling to to be set on fire for anything, let alone Jesus, his goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. That word follows, do you know what it actually means? It's the word persecutes. God's goodness and mercy persecutes you. Can't get rid of it. Even on the days you don't want it and you want it to be as far away from you as possible, he's out, I'm pursuing you with goodness and mercy. Can we bear his image into the world? Can we live like he does? I wonder if we could stop and pause this week and just think about how God's goodness has pursued you. No matter what you're going through, ask the spirit to bring to mind moments that you, when you feel like everything is against you. God, your mercy and your goodness pursue me, show me and help me to share it. Because in those moments, it's worship. That's what a lifestyle of worship is all about. That we see God and we say, I'm gonna share that with the world around me. And there's the next heartbeat. Because when we're worshiping, we're acknowledging, we're respecting and we're revering Christ as Lord. And I wanna make it clear again, we don't live to be saved. We do this because we are saved. This isn't to prove that you're enough. This is to display the one that is enough. So this is the fourth, the third heartbeat. Got excited then that I was on the fourth one, didn't you? And we'll fly through. Going to finish in a moment. Verse fifteen says, "In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord." So we've got three heartbeats. Repay evil with blessing. Be eager to do good. And in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Remember God in Jesus is Lord. Don't be tempted to think you are. In your hearts, in your hearts. See, for us in our hearts. We think that means emotion, don't we? Like you love somebody with all your heart. Scott and Laura are getting married. And Scott loves Laura with all her heart. And Laura loves Scott with all of her heart. So we think heart is to do with emotion. But in the Bible, it's so much more than that. See, when you read the, when you read the heart in the Bible, it means the whole of your being, your will, your mind, your decisions, your emotions. Yes, but so much more than that. Absolutely everything, it's the core, it's the center of who you are. In other words, in your heart, from the very core of who you are, live in a way where Christ is revered as Lord. Revered just means to, to worship, to make holy. In every single part of you, every moment that you live, every breath that you breathe, not just the moments in church, but when you're doing what you do as a parent, as a worker, as a grandparent, as a singer, whatever it is, is—however, in every moment of your life, revered, in your hearts, in all of you, revere Christ as Lord. Now, that can be really easy, can't it, when our feelings are in it, when we feel like doing it. But Peter's writing to those who, in verse 14, he's had to encourage not to be frightened and not be fearful. So he's saying, look, this is the reality. Why would he say that if they weren't frightened and fearful? He's saying, guys, this is the real world. But in the midst of that, you need to live with Christ as Lord. See, the truth is, that in the tough seasons of life, it's in the fire that our impurities are revealed. Peter's spoken about that in chapter one. And it's so often the case that situations and difficult situations reveal what we revere. When things aren't going the way you want them to, when things haven't panned out how you would like them to be, when you're not being doing what you want to do, when situations and circumstances come against you, our reaction, our response, what we cling to, how we live, that reveals what we revere. Those moments are so important. I wonder, dare I say, has COVID revealed a lot about what we revere? What we hold as Lord? My way, my wants. How I live. No one tells me how to live. I wonder if this season has been one where God has been saying, Am I really the one that you revere as Lord? Peter says no matter the situation, don't fear evil, don't fear, don't don't live frightened, he's saying, isn't he? Don't fear their threats. Life's going against you, but no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, you can repay evil with blessing. You can be eager to do good because we don't revere the circumstances as Lord. We don't revere the situations as Lord. We don't revere our feelings as Lord. We revere with every single part of us that Jesus is Lord. And so we worship him. And that's so much of what verses 18 to 22 are about. I haven't got time to unpack these. Some of you will want me to get into the imprisoned spirits verse. Unlucky, I'm not gonna do that today. um, But I can maybe do a whole sermon on that because there's loads of different views about what that means. Go away and study it. And if you come up with just one view, then let me tell you, there's lots of other views that that have stood the test of time because they might be accurate on it. There's some contentious verses. But let me just sum up quickly what verses 18 to 22 is about, that Jesus is Lord. That's what those verses are about that Jesus is Lord. That in verse 18, even though he died, he was fully in control and he was working for your good and his glory. Verse 19, just as Noah suffered, as he told the people about the kingdom of God and calling them to repent, he suffered and yet Christ was speaking through him. Jesus is Lord. So the point is that we may suffer as we live in this way for Jesus, being e- repaying evil with blessing, being eager to do good. There's no guarantee that life will get better. For, Pete, for, for Noah, it was eight people got saved in a I mean, It's hardly revival, is it? I mean, woo, eight people in a boat. Woo, God's good. Eight people? But Jesus was speaking through him. No matter the results, we've got to know that God is in control. Verse 20 that God waited patiently in the days of Noah because it's God's heart that none should perish. Maybe God is being patient in your life with what you're going through, with what you face, with the challenges. Because his heart is that none should perish and actually he's doing something in you. And I wonder if we can give God the benefit of believing that he is leading us and forming us and working in and through us. And Peter reminds us it doesn't end with the grave. The grave can seem horrific, but without, gra- without the grave we don't see the resurrection, verse 21. Jesus is going to rise again, verse 22. He's now seated at the right hands of the angels, authorities, powers, subject to him. In other words, guess what? Jesus is Lord of everything we're going through. And so will we, as those that follow Jesus, revere him as Lord? Will we allow Jesus to be the Lord of all the situations and sufferings we face and display him no matter what? See, if Jesus is Lord of your life, it means that Jesus is our example and he's the one that gets to define what love is. And he's the one that gets to define how we live that love. It's 1 John 2, verse six. For those that are followers of him, surely we will start to live and look like him. That's my paraphrase. So guys, I'm finishing here. Three heartbeats that we've had so far. Repay evil with blessing. Be eager to do good. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And the final one, verse fifteen. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, uh, who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do you know, I was always taught that this verse meant you've always got to have an answer when someone says God's not real. Or when someone says, oh yeah, well, Jesus, not sure about him. And you've always got to have an answer. In theology, we call it apologetics, defending our faith. That's what I was always thought this verse meant. Got to have an answer. And I, for, I don't know if you're anything like me, but for me, when I've ever had that kind of conversation, it's three weeks later I think, oh, if I'd had said that, I'd have been all right. But I didn't think of that then, did I? I just went, oh, I don't know you, I don't know. <laughs> That's not what this verse means. It's not what this verse means at all. It means as we revere Jesus as Lord, as we worship him, and we ask the Spirit to make us more like him, and we are eager to do good and repay evil with blessing, we're infused with hope in a world of skepticism, and we start to live, love, and look like Jesus. And when we do that, people will start to ask why. People will say, there's something different about you. You look and sound completely different. How, why, what? That's the reason we're to have an answer for the hope that we have. Not as a defense of our faith, although that's not a bad thing. But in this moment we are living so differently that the world says i I can't compute i've got no frame of reference for how you're living and what i'm seeing that as gospel communities as we start to gather that's the vision that we'd start to live as a community it's being written to a community we'd start to live in such a way that people are going what like you two together in the i don't understand it i don't get it can you can you explain to me how this works that's the reason we're to have an answer for the hope that we have always be prepared Because people are going to start to notice when those start living with hope in the midst of hopelessness. And they're going to start to ask why. And we better be prepared to give an answer. And I had this recently. Alan, will you come up and start to noodle? Just play some chord that really helps us here with the Holy Spirit. That would be good. Maybe a minor key. Oh, there it is. (laughs) There's the Spirit. I had this this weekend. I mean, Alan's going to play for the next 40 minutes just to make you think that we're nearly finished. But no, I've got one story, if you can just bear with me, and then we're going to finish. And you can have a tea of coffee, and you can get home. But I had this this last weekend. On Saturday, uh, not yesterday, a week ago, I went and got a cheeky sausage sandwich uh, from a catering van. I uh, got one for the family, and it was meant to be a little 10-nip-out, just, just 10 minutes, nip-out, get a sausage sandwich, uh, and come home and then just enjoy it with the family. that 10-minute nip ended up being a 40-minute offload as the woman in the catering van just shared with me every burden she's ever experienced in life. I'm like, I do this as a living. I could really do without it on a Saturday morning. That's what's going on in my heart, all right? And she makes the sausage sandwich, and she's telling me it just like, how her drug drug-dealing neighbours had tried to drill through her house and start using her roof, her attic spaces, like growing marijuana and stuff. I'm Like what? And then she started saying about loads of other things that had gone on. How her, neighbor, her new neighbours thought, as they threw a party during COVID, that she'd called the police and and they'd been graffitiing her house because they thought it was her. And she's like, it wasn't me. And loads of other stuff. Like she had an operation, and and um, in response to the operation, loads of her loyal friends had kind of deserted her. They'd not been around for her, and she'd actually ended up getting some social media abuse because of the. Op- I was just like, whoa! You've got loads Going on. And she's saying, she's making my sausage sandwich, it sits there. That took like five minutes, and then she offloaded for 35 minutes. And I'm, in my head, I'm just going, my sausage sandwich is getting cold. <laughs> I don't like congealed egg. I want it nice, nice, runny yolk. That's what I'm thinking. And she's offloading. And I, and at the end she went, Thank you so much for listening. And I felt really bad because I'm in my heart I just want my sausage sandwich. That's what I'm really thinking about. But I thanked her and I said, Bless you. You know, I hope things get better. God bless you, goodbye. And that was it. That was the Saturday encounter. It's hardly an exciting way to end a sermon, is it? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you've got. And she thanked me for listening in the midst of her hopelessness. And I just walked away and I said, thanks very much. And it wasn't until... Tuesday I was reading some of these verses and just praying and reading through these scriptures and you're going to think that as we, we, those of us that preach scripture and and lead churches, we've got it all sorted and all together and we, we live it out all the time. But I was convicted by this passage. And she came to mind as I was reading these words. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope. And I thought of her and I was like, I didn't, did I? She shared her burdens and I was just thinking about my sausage sandwich. Which wasn't bad, but it would have been nice having it 30 minutes earlier. So in that moment, I was like, I've got to go back to the shop that's near her catering van. So I'm going to use now as the excuse to go, and I'm just going to go and see if she's busy, and I'll chat with her and see, see what happens. And so I drove up on Tuesday afternoon, and I parked outside her catering van, and it was quite quiet, and so, which was good. Um, and I used the excuse in my head, it's quiet, which means I can talk to her. But actually, in my head, I was thinking, oh, it's quiet, no one will overhear us talking. Because that's what we all think, isn't it? We're all frightened of what other people are going to think when we speak. And so I went and spoke to her, and I just said, look, We spoke last Saturday and she was like, yeah, I remember, I did a lot of speaking and you didn't do much. And I was like, yeah, that's right, I was thinking about my sausage sandwich. And I just said, I I need to tell you that you, 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 I need to thank you. And I started by blessing her with some kind words. And I just said, you know, you're going through so much. And what I should have told you on Saturday was, you still got a smile and you still serve people, even though you're going through horrific circumstances. You've got enough strength to serve others in the midst of that, wow you're amazing and she just burst into tears and I said I'm sorry I was meant to be coming here to make you happy and she went I know you, like you come here and say kind things and I burst into tears and she said it's because I'm having the worst day of my life I was like what's happened and she went oh I didn't tell you this bit but my dad died and my mum died a few months ago and my dad has lost all hope he can't live for anything anymore and we're trying to encourage him and spur him on but it's just so hard and he just rang me this morning again saying he wants to give up and I just spoke to her and I said, you know, this is going to sound absolutely bonkers. And you'll think I'm crazy. And it's not a trendy thing to say anymore. But I've been through some tough seasons in life. This last two years has been really tough. And when everything crumbles, you know, I've got a firm foundation that doesn't shift, doesn't change. And you're going to think I'm bonkers, but I love Jesus. And she went, what? I went, yeah. I just Jesus has just been this firm foundation of, lo- of hope throughout the whole of my life. And she started sharing me about how she used to go to a church youth group when she was a kid. And I knew she was telling the truth because she said the youth group was run by Andy and Mandy. Now that's, that's a church youth group, isn't it? The names match. And I just talked to her and, I, and she asked me about how my faith had kept me strong during those seasons and, and what it meant for me. And we just had this conversation about Jesus. No revival, no salvation. Eight people in a boat would have been a blessing. I didn't even get one in a boat. But we talked And I shared my hope. And she thanked me at the end of it. And she said, maybe there's something in that stuff that I learned when I was a kid that I've not gone back and looked at. And you know what, if nothing else, then I've got an excuse to go back and get another sausage sandwich, haven't I? (laughs) But just sharing hope in the midst of hopelessness. Why do I tell you that story? Because the world needs a community that is bearing and beating to the heartbeat of holiness. Not a pious holiness that says, we've got it right, you've got it all wrong. But a holiness that is, is repaying evil with good words. That's being eager, boiling over with a passion to do good. That's saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. This circumstance doesn't define me. What you say doesn't define me, he does. From that, we have an answer for the hope that we've got. That we live as hope-filled people sharing that hope into a hopeless age of skepticism. So OCC, may we know that we lead this place commissioned to live, love and look like Jesus. May we see through the eyes of Jesus, hear through the ears of Jesus and love with the heart of Jesus as we repay evil with blessing, as we boil over with a loyalty to do good, that we worship Jesus in every single circumstance as Lord. And maybe in that people might just start to notice and start to ask why, as we live for him. Church, let's stand together and let Alan lead us in a song as we finish.